Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Hello, and welcome to the Original Remake Podcast, where we discuss and compare an original film and its remake. Hello, and welcome to the Original Remake Podcast, where we discuss and compare an original film and its remake. Ultimately, we seek answers to three questions. Does the remake do justice to the original? And if you just watch the remake, do you get a good sense of why the original was successful or not successful and thus remade? But most of all, which movie to watch, the original or the remake? Welcome back to another episode of Original Remake. I am your host, Peter. I think you were going to say me make, weren't you? <laughs> You're going to take over the show. Yeah, me. <laughs> yes. Um, especially since uh, Daniel from Get Real Movies wanted to uh, take my spot here. But uh, how you been? Who? It's uh, right. It's a guy that you like to use. Um, but no, it's, it's been a while since we've been on a show together. I feel like the Italian job was probably the last time. Does that sound about right? It's been a few months. Yeah. Uh, people who listen to the show probably wonder why there's an intro uh, where the two of us are talking to each other, and then one of us is never on the program. Right. So I don't know. I guess the special guest this time is that we have the actual hosts of the show on for recording today yeah i think it's a good idea i mean uh, we we are both the hosts so you know but hey it, scheduling co- uh, conflicts and the, the time zone you know uh, obviously is a big factor as well but this episode is our 50th you know it's been a little over two years what is it now august so it's taken us two years and three months to reach 50 to be fair, I think the first almost year of the show, this was just coming out twice a month was the initial plan. Correct. So uh, we changed that to like weekly, and then we do that for about a month or two, and then we don't <laughs> release an episode for six months. It's a lot <laughs> so, of work. It is. It's, it's a lot of work. I mean, especially for you. I mean, War Machine versus War Horse, you do uh, three movies. You know, you do the new release and then the, the two older films. And then this one on top of that, that's five movies already in a week. Um, so... I don't know how you People do it. wonder why I don't watch TV. That's why. That is keeping up with the movies. Those those are my episodes. Um I don't I don't want to jump the gun here, but you've already announced it's our 50th. And so we do have some questions that we're going to have at the end from people who are kind enough to to uh, ask us some on Twitter. Uh but let's let's go ahead and do one because I think the very first one we got is kind of on that okay. very topic. All right. So so uh, we do have a question from a friend of the show, Hyro, from True Bromance Film Podcast, also part of the uh, Following Films Network. He does ask you, why is uh, War Machine Horse always taking episodes off? So I'm not sure if he meant this particular show or – well, I guess he, he does tag your other account. Yeah, I don't. I didn't know if this was in reference to original remake, the podcast you're currently listening to, or uh, my other podcast, War Machine versus War Horse, um, because I tend to take breaks on both shows, usually in the summertime. Um, I think either either one, whichever one he's referencing, is going to be a boring answer because uh, it mainly, as you reference, comes down to time or uh, lack thereof. Uh, we try to stay on top of podcast recordings, but, uh, I think oftentimes, and I think I can speak for a lot of podcasters, it feels like you're throwing a message in the bottle out there. Mm -hmm. Like you and I have these conversations and then when we put the show together and send it out there to the world, I have no idea who's listening. I have no idea if anyone listens 
And so oftentimes I have a lot of fun just talking with you or a guest while we're doing the show. But then when I have to sit down to edit or promote the show, any of that, that feels like a drag because usually when you send it out there to the world, you don't get any feedback. So, um, you know, keep that feedback coming because that's really that's really the only motivation to actually publicize our conversations. Otherwise, I mean, you could just hang out mm-hmm. on Skype and talk. But and I have I have a lot of fun doing that. But the actual making of the podcast uh, is I mean, it's a labor. You know that yeah. you do you do I don't know fifteen shows at this point. So. Fourteen, I dropped one. <laughs> oh yeah, you're, you're taking a break. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that, that's that's the main reason is uh yeah just it just comes down to to time and I guess the uh, the lack of motivation when you're when you're not getting any uh, particular feedback because you don't feel like anyone's going to miss the show if you don't do it that week. You're like, oh, I'll just catch up with Peter, you know, next week. Right. So for our 50th, um, we are kind of pairing this up with The Glass Castle. Yeah, Woody Harrelson uh, plays a uh, father figure there that uh, basically attempts to raise his his children in this uh, almost imaginary environment because they, they have a very tough life, I guess, financially. I'm just going based off the trailer. I've not read the book or uh, seen the film at this point, uh, but he's uh, also in Ed TV. So uh, that is very much about some family problems when they come under the spotlight of this, this sort of alternate world of reality television. So uh, yeah, we went a little more goofy, I guess, trying to release this week of glass castle. We didn't go with any sort of family uh, melodrama, although there is some in both Truman Show and Ed TV, but yeah, Glass Castle is what we're, uh, we're riding that hashtag wave. Okay. <laughs> thousands and thousands of downloads, I'm sure, for Glass Castle. I think so. You know, people are going to surprise you. I'm sure we got a lot of fans watching our reality <laughs> podcast. Uh, the Truman Show, this movie came out, uh, the summer of 1998. It's directed by Peter Ware. Uh, it does star Jim Carrey in the, um, yeah, in the lead role here as Truman Burbank. Uh, we got Laura Linney, who plays his wife, Meryl. Uh, Ed Harris plays the creator of the Truman Show, Christoph. Uh, Noah Emmerich plays uh, Truman's best friend, Marlon. And um, let's see, who who else should we... Uh, you know what, let's throw in Paul Giamatti. Uh, he plays like some kind of control room director. And I want to bring Harry Shearer in. Uh, as a cameo appearance because he's some sort of uh, uh, news anchor, which, um, you know, comes up in the other movie. Yeah, in our film, we we have that I mentioned with Woody Harrelson, which is the reason for this this week's episode. Uh, He plays the brother of the main character, played by Matthew McConaughey, Ed, the, the title character here. And it's basically his brother's fault for getting him into this reality show, which is being produced by... Um, Ellen DeGeneres in this film, uh, trying to, I guess, raise uh, awareness of this failing network that they're on because they decide to gamble big and program all 24 hours, uh, based around, uh, this guy named Ed. Uh, we have the love interest here, uh, which is initially, uh, Woody Harrelson's love interest. Um, and I believe her name is, uh, Dharma, right? Uh, yes. Sticking with those yeah, 90s yeah. references. She's Greg's, um, ex-girlfriend. Jenna Elfman, uh, who will become the romantic interest of Ed, which uh, leads to like a, a family quarrel of sorts, uh, which is one of many quarrels in this film as the uh, pressures of reality television basically uh, destroy uh, this, this family that up to that point, uh, I guess, had a fairly easygoing relationship. Um, but as you'll see later, there, there are secrets that spill out with Ed's mother. 
uh, stepfather played by Martin Landau in a, a, a really good small part. And uh, this one came out, uh, unfortunately, I guess for Ed TV because it was a box office failure, came out March of 99 compared to Truman Show's June of 1998. So uh, reality television was on the minds of Hollywood at that point, and one of these films was far more successful than the other. So we'll, I guess we'll go back to Truman Show for that because this is the one that's uh, critically well-received and was a box office success. Yeah, the Truman Show, I actually watched a little bit later uh, in life. I don't I'm trying to think if I watched it in high school or was it after that. It's not something, um, I don't think I heard very much about it when it first came out. And it could have been one of those things how, um, you know, even with this movie, when he was casted, most people had really only known Jim Carrey from like The Mask and Ace Ventura. Uh, this is his first more toned down role. Uh, so I think maybe that was another reason that I didn't watch it, I think. Um, but later on, you know, I was really on board with Jim Carrey being a more dramatic actor. I really enjoyed Majestic, um, number 23 to a certain extent. I thought that was actually, um, a lot better than, you know, most people thought. Uh, but Ed TV, I completely missed. Uh, I do recall seeing at least one cover box at the blockbuster I worked at. Uh, and just looking at the release date, it did come out about a month before episode one, uh, Star Wars episode one. Uh, I was working at the movie theaters at the time and I don't remember seeing Ed TV there at all. So maybe they had already, um, you know, it had already ended its theatrical run. You know what? I'm not sure. I, I don't know why I didn't, uh, see that, see it being played in the theater. Cause again, this is just weeks before episode one. Which uh, basically means there was not a lot of stuff coming out because everyone was kind of clearing the decks for for episode one. But this one, uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Peter Weir uh, from Truman Show, who has had a lot of criti- critical success, but I don't think he was ever this like box office name like a Spielberg. And mm-hmm. NTV had Ron Howard find it, which was a bigger name, a uh, bigger deal. And I believe the screenwriters had worked with him before on Parenthood. Um, so, I mean, this, this is something that was probably packaged. I wonder if they thought it was going to be a success, uh, cause they're certainly going for a more comedic take on it. And Truman Show is far darker and more dramatic, but it's interesting because Jim, as you mentioned, Jim Carrey at that time was the, the biggest comedy star in the world and maybe one of the, maybe the biggest star in the world. And he was stepping out. You, you almost expect that at that time, it, like if he had done Ed TV, it would have been a major success. And that would have been more what his audience would have expected than as opposed to Truman Show. I mean, I don't know. I, I wasn't a big fan of the script of uh, Ed TV. You know, this is the first time I've seen Ed TV. Obviously, I knew very little about it. And watching the movie, I was surprised by how very similar it was with Truman Show. Very, very similar. I mean, some some of the beats are so similar, it's really hard to say that uh, or hard to believe that both productions were going on at the same time, knowing of each other and weren't very concerned that one would really outdo the other. Um, Jenna Elfman, I the first time I had seen her was Keeping the Faith with um, Edward Norton and Ben Stiller, which would come out in the following year. I Her eyebrows bugged me. <laughs> It's they they were like well, if you you're gonna really, have to excuse me listeners because if you hear clicking I'm now gonna look because I didn't notice them. Uh, I mean they seem extremely thin. They're a little extremely extremely little thin. arched too. There, I mean she's of course I'm just looking at IMDb the first picture and, right. 
Um, One of them is a little bit more arch than the other, so it it reminded me. Did you ever see Just Go with It, the Adam Sandler Jennifer Aniston movie? Uh, I'm gonna say thankfully no. <laughs> okay, well Adam Sandler plays like some sort of like a plastic surgeon or some type of surgeon, and hmm. there's that one actress from Saturday Night Live. Um, I forget her name, but in there she had something wrong with like one of her eyebrows, and it's a really funny scene too because one is arched and he is all like. Here, do this, you know, and he's arching his eyebrow and she's trying to do it, but it doesn't move because it's already arched. I don't know, but her eyebrows are so weirdly thin that that's the thing that I would always see when I see her. I find her attractive in the movie, you know, almost like a, um, Renee Zellweger from Jerry Maguire kind of feel. Like I got that vibe from her, but the eyebrows were just bugging me a little too Can much. I, uh, just since we're on this eyebrow tangent now, um, what what do you think of today's sort of trend to make them as thick as fucking possible on Instagram? Because I feel like that's going to be a bad look. And about 10 years from now, that's going to be something that looks very time-specific, like bell-bottoms or something, to where it's it, people are going to react strongly against that as far as having these huge, I don't know, is it Bert or Ernie look that people are going for now? Uh, I, I think it's Bert. But I... I... I haven't caught on to that trend. I'll have to kind of take a look at that. But I feel that at least looks a little bit more natural, you know? So, I, I mean, I, I I don't mind that Kara what, what, helped me out from Valerian, uh, Paper Town. Uh, it was like Delavine or something. Yeah, that sounds about right. But, you know, I don't, I don't mind hers. I, I, I know that hers are people usually point out that they're a little thick there, but I think that's fine. I mean, these, uh, again, they look so thin, it <laughs> might as well have been drawn. We'll move it along. I'm sorry, people. <laughs> I, um, I want to move it back to Truman Show because I, I think Truman okay. Show is an actual classic. Ed TV, I don't have much for it. I will say Woody Harrelson's my favorite part of Ed TV just because mm-hmm. I, I've said on the podcast and my podcast multiple times, I love seeing stupid people on screen. I love people playing dumb characters. Uh, and he is playing like an oaf, really. Um, Truman Show, in that vein, I think has a delicate balance because our main character has to be ignorant, right? I mean, like the definition of ignorance, like not, not that he's a stupid individual, but he is being fooled. There's, I mean, this is mm-hmm. the one, at this point in the film, 30 year long prank almost as being some farce that's being played around him. And I always really admired the film that, you know, they give the audience all the information about what's going on first, which I think is different from the initial script. I think the initial script, you sort of uncovered the mystery along with Truman as far as all these weird occurrences that, that seem strange as far as people he runs into all the time or the way people talk to him. Uh, First off, I think that was smart because it just makes you aware that like, you know, this is going to be a movie that has a trailer and I don't know if I would spend 30 minutes already knowing this is a film about a guy who's being produced as a reality television show and then waiting for the film to catch up. But I don't ever feel like Jim Carrey comes across as someone that you're just like annoyed with him for not getting it. Did you? I feel like I mean I'm rooting for him, even though I already know what the the reveal is going to be. I, I never feel like the character needs to like catch on quicker. Like I feel like they they handle his sort of natural questions about the strangeness of his reality pretty well. I think so. I mean, you have a pretty good supporting cast there with uh, Laura Linney and uh, Noah Emmerich. 
Um, any, with her advertising? Yeah. Did you like the... <laughs> well, I, I think it got a little much, especially when she's doing the... Um, well, it's the part in the kitchen where she thinks he's really losing it. Um, I thought that was a little... Not that it was out of place. It's just like th- there aren't contingencies for something like that. Like maybe she doesn't have to promote a sponsor, you know, in times like that. Um, but I think it does work well in that scene also to kind of um, play up how she is uh, unhappy in her current environment. You know, she says something about the conditions. This is very unprofessional. Um, it, it did work for me. But well, the other thing is Jim Carrey's such a big presence. Like the way he like leaves, you know, the, the morning routine, the way he exits his front door and like shouts across the lawn to the neighbors. It's like, like he, even his character is not talking like a normal human being because you then realize, oh, he's been raised with this is how people approach each other. Mm-hmm. Like not only are they talking to him, they're talking through him to whoever's watching. Like there's, you know, it's a very unnatural way of speaking. And I really like that. I really like that. I don't know. It feels, it's very off-putting. Um, but I, I, I never find Truman to be off-putting, even though he kind of participates in that showmanship a little bit. He doesn't realize he's participating in it. He just thinks that's just sort of how the world operates. That's how people talk to each other. Right. Right. I mean, it's, um, it, it's kind of like people with accents, I guess. You know, you kind of grew up. That's how other people around you talk. Never heard of it. No, not at all. <laughs> I don't have one for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, I think we've talked about that before. I don't know what the Portland accent is. I don't. I don't really have an idea of one. I I don't know if there is one. I mean, that's probably because I don't have an accent. That's probably why. You're probably right about that. <laughs> but a woman I once um, interviewed, she actually like off mic. She was like, "Oh, are you from Texas?" I go, "That's oddly specific." Yes, and she goes, "Yeah, you you have a like a the Texan accent." I and I told her I didn't hear it at all, but she said she knew people. Um, from like southern Texas, which is where I was born, but I felt like I didn't live there long enough to, you know, have an accent. And I kind of grew up with English as my second language anyway. But she said there were certain words that I draw out and it was the way that I spoke. So I don't know. Uh, people, listeners, you tell me, do, do I have an accent? I don't, I don't think I do. There's some of that feedback we want. This will keep the show going mm-hmm. if you can pinpoint what Peter's accent is. Yeah. We'll, uh, you know, we'll wait for our 100th in another two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go by Let's faster, five. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it's going to go by slower. Uh, I wanted to, on the subject of accents, uh, Matthew McConaughey really plays up his. And I mean, that's part of, in, in the context of the film, that's also probably why they cast him, is he has this sort of, like, southern charm, this sort of everyman quality that they're looking for. Even though I think, I mean, the film was set in San Francisco, mm-hmm. so there's some sort of... Texas transplants that the whole family has moved into the area. Um, that, that's my, my first question. Cause I was reading some trivia trivia where Peter Weir, he changed the, the darker elements of the script that made the Truman show a little bit lighter because they had Jim Carrey, who's a great comedian. Uh, he said it was important for him that the audience understand that the Truman show itself was something that people would actually watch. So my question to you is, you know, we're a little more negative on Ed TV. Do you ever believe, do you ever buy into the fact that people would watch the show Ed TV in the film? I mean, I think we have to kind of look at it, you know, for its time, 1999. You know, the Kardashians weren't uh, quite around yet. Um, at least, you know, not the family that we see or hear about on the news. I feel, I mean, at the time, 
Yes, probably because this is really the only um, dysfunctional family. I think they even mentioned that, that this family is kind of weird. But um, I think so. I, I think this is a, a guy that people would follow. Um, you know, obviously, Matthew McConaughey is a very handsome guy. Um, and some of the things that he does is just, you know, an everyday thing. You know, I think so. I mean, just short answer, yes, I think the Ed is somebody that people would follow. I think Woody Harrelson's character is some, <laughs> I think that's somebody that people would follow. Like, uh, you know, I think back to like the, uh, the, the Osborne show. Um, who are the, who are those racists? The, the, the Duck Dynasty people? Oh, I <laughs> never them. watched that one, but yeah, Duck Dynasty. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a trashy element to the Woody Harrelson character, uh, because he is stupid, uh, because he says, crass things uh, he's pretty much oblivious to how he uh talks and is losing the the interest of his his girlfriend uh played by jenna elfman who goes for his brother i think people would rather watch the car crash element of his character the brother than they would ed ed, ed is at least how matthew mcconaughey plays him i don't know if his life is that interesting of it's, course it's it all is. he his, works at a movie store <laughs> Didn't you miss that? Yeah, that that that's probably that's not aged well at all. And, and at one point he was holding the movies incorrectly too. He was holding them like sideways. That's not how you do it. I'm glad you brought that up because when I was reading through trivia for that one, that was pointed out. Like at multiple, it's like multiple people like had pointed that out, and I'm like, oh, there are a lot of film buffs that were angry that yeah, Ed was not a convincing video store uh, clerk. Um, I think the main thing, it's something you, you brought up earlier is I, I, I just, I don't find Ed TV to be funny. Mm -hmm. Like I find it to be incredibly mean spirited, which is strange. You know, watching these two together, Truman Show is the one that obviously should be more mean spirited, just in concept, like a baby, uh, without any sort of regard for, you know, Truman's rights as an individual has been kidnapped in a way and raised in this bubble and has no privacy whatsoever. It's been broadcast to the world. And yet I found Ed TV to be just meaner and just taking like easy jokes. Like, you know, there's the cheating element, which they introduce again mm -hmm. with uh, Ed's mother and Martin Landau, where uh, Dennis Hopper comes in as the long lost father. Uh, and then they have a sexual relationship. Um, I don't know. I just found it like the Rob Reiner character, who's basically playing the like the evil TV executive who has somehow through weird legalese locked Ed into a lifetime contract, uh, much like Truman. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I just didn't enjoy my time with it. And I think this one was not meant to be, you know, as dramatic as Truman's show. And it was weird that it was so off-putting to me that I'm like, you know, this is not a fun movie. This is not a comedy I would throw on. Truman show, I, I wouldn't say is fun at times, because you're dealing with really serious sort of, you know, father son issues with Christoph and Truman, but it is more fun to watch. Like, like Truman, him basically trying to, once he figures out trying to escape, it's like, it becomes like a really strange and cool prison break movie that I really, I really dug. I have a good time with it. Yeah. Actually, that's a good way to describe Truman's show, you know, the prison break. Uh, I do like that. It is a lot more fun and it's kind of crazy because Ed TV is extremely long. It's, it's clocks in just a little bit too, uh, about two hours and Truman Show is about... A comedy. Uh, yeah, God. yeah. An hour and a half for Truman Show. If I were to guess, I would think that the times were uh, switched. You know, I would have thought... Well, think about how much 
world building there is in the Truman Show and how quickly they do it in that first, I don't know, few minutes, basically during the credit sequence. Mm-hmm. They give you all this information and they introduce you to Kristoff, like the guy that has built this world, played by Ed Harris, like, and, and all, you know, Laura Linnaeus, his wife and his best friend, Marlon. Like, you get a lot of information quickly and Ed TV, God, it just drags. I, and I think the, I mentioned Rob Reiner, the, the battle between him and Ellen as this, like, producer who grows, like, the Grinch, like, her heart grows, like, five times its normal size to, like, save Ed. I just found that stuff terrible. And, like, yeah. I don't know, just was, like, incredibly tacky. Like, I, I, did, I didn't, we don't need, like, a, a ticking time bomb to see if Ed gets off TV. And it's, I kept going back to watching these together, like, what they tried to do with Ellen DeGeneres. You mentioned Paul Giamatti, who, I don't even know if his character has a name, uh, as, like, this, like, technician guy that's sort of working the control panel i believe him when he actually like sort of breaks down and expresses some genuine concern for truman's mm-hmm. safety more so than ellen degeneres who has far more screen time on ed tv right and she even um interacts with ed as well mm-hmm. yeah i it was really hard because i kind of watched these a, a little bit back to back um i watched truman's show uh one night and then um uh, ed tv the the next morning so pretty close to back to back and it was really hard to kind of uh not compare it you know obviously we got this uh um episode at tv i just you said it it's it's i didn't find it fun the i didn't find anything interesting and they i felt like they just tried to i don't know if there was a script it's like what what can we do next that would seem unscripted you know you've mentioned it's a little sitcomish that way right Kind it's like they're of. just going for like gags, sort of easy yeah. punchline setups, all that. And I didn't really need the cutting back and forth with audience member or, or I guess people watching the TV and kind of getting, um, you know, quips from them. You know, we had very little of that from Truman Show. Uh, but they do do it. Did you, how did, did you like it in the Truman Show when they cut to like the security guard or like the, the old lady? Those, like watching I Truman? mean, those kind of worked for me because they were very subtle. I, I feel like the, the audience members in Ed TV were, were almost, almost very much characters themselves in the show, mm-hmm. uh, in the movie. And that makes the movie seem even bigger with, uh, with this cast because there's so many people. You get the TV execs. So you have a boardroom full of people that were very uninteresting, very little line. Lines, and it did. I, I don't think Ron Howard balanced it well enough, or maybe it's the editing. Um, there's just too many people, and we keep seeing too many things. And the subplot with Sherry moving away and all that. There, there's just too much going on. Uh, I, I felt like there was really almost no focus. You mentioned Woody Harrelson's the more kind of crazy character that most people would watch. I feel that would be the way now. Um, he, Woody Harrelson would have his own spinoff, you know, like many shows do, <laughs> you know, a, a show that goes, um, that becomes successful and ultimately cancels. And usually they take the one character and like, Hey, let's make a spinoff of him. So I'm sure we would have a, uh, Ray TV, you know, in an alternate universe here. But there's just too much going on at Ed TV. There's too much, um, Matthew McConaughey running around. I didn't need him sticking his hand down his pants in the morning twice. You know, like I got it the first time and even that very first time was a little awkward, uh, almost unsettling. Like it's, it's a really slow buildup or a long buildup. That's a good point because they take something that, uh, I mean, I'm not going to out myself, but 
uh, sure, could be a, a real thing that happens in the morning it like, is. when people don't expect <laughs> them to be to be watched. Then you compare it to the opening of the Truman Show, where Jim Carrey is doing stuff that probably most people don't, as far as the way he talks to the mirror is very Jim Carrey. Like I read that was an, an improvisation right. on his point. And yet somehow in the Truman Show, the way it's edited, the way it's composed, it feels like I'm genuinely looking in on someone like when they're unaware in the morning, kind of like just getting ready for the day. And like you said, the fact that they have to go back to that gag in TV, it feels fake. It feels false. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's supposed to be funny, I guess. But I don't know. It was weird because Truman Show obviously has a more, you know sci-fi-ish feel it's a like the concept is much stranger than ed tv but it feels like i'm watching genuine human interactions more even though they're all actors they're all i mean in the context of film they're all actors ed tv these are supposed to be family and friends and yet they feel like they feel more like the you know the the uh the extra characters in truman show as far as they always have to play up these plot points or they react in these really broad ways that i don't know it's just it's not funny it's not really an interesting look at reality television which i guess at the time the only basis uh, that they were covering was probably something like the real world i guess right yeah maybe that's all they really had to go off of but you know um they what didn't they have a sister you know that was also kind of a very uninteresting subplot I mean, I keep going back to it, but like, I felt there, there wasn't quite a focus. The family unit of, uh, you know, Ed's family, it, it was really, I, I didn't find them interesting. Martin Landau, he was probably the most interesting of the bunch. I didn't care for his mother. The father, I felt like was shoehorned in. And again, having watched Truman's show first, it's like, well, there was a father, uh, element there as well, you know, with his real father, which, I found that more interesting, you know, where the, the actor played Truman's father, you know, um, he was very much into like the, the, the reality of being the father and then they had to kind of take him away. So I like the elements of like the Truman show where you got these characters, especially like that, the love interest. I, I didn't catch her name. Um, Sylvia, right? The, uh, the, the, the saboteur actress. basically of the, the Truman show. Yes. So I, I like, the you know the elements of that but with this one um i'm trying to find the focus here is it the family is it ed is it the uh the the love triangle because anytime we see ray you know he's hooking up with a uh, quote-unquote homeless woman and all these things it's like we need to focus on something but it's just so it's very much like a reality show you're cutting to the most popular parts but in this sense for the movie the parts that they were showing us, I found very uninteresting. And again, like it, two hours, it's a drag. I can see why this flopped. You know, it's, uh, I think the budget was like 80 million. They brought in like 33, uh, gross. So they. Did you say 80 million? Yeah, 80 million is the for budget. Ed, for Ed TV. Yeah, box Goodness. office, 35.2 million. See, My dog's very angry even Brody is money. upset about this. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. Music by Randy Edelman and Bon Jovi. The music did not even stick out to me. Bon Jovi never sticks out to me. Not in a good way. <laughs> hey, now. I, I like me some Bon Jovi. You don't like living on a prayer and all that stuff? No. Once I did our life? No, no. Um, you didn't play any yeah, of those often, at your wedding. <laughs> I, did, I did not. You, that did, was, you didn't rock band. Uh, now even during rock band, I would only do that for like the, the trophy on PlayStation. <laughs> I would, I would not enjoy it at all. I would actually just turn the volume down and just oh, hear Lord. the sounds, the clicks. <laughs> all right. 
Yeah, with a movie playing in the background, I'm sure. Um, yeah, it, there's there's nothing. I mean, now I understand now in hindsight why working at Blockbuster there were never very many copies. I always, you know, would either put the cover box away or I just read the cover box. I don't even remember reading the cover box, but it just it didn't look interesting to me. And at that time, I didn't really know Matthew McConaughey from anything else other than A Time to Kill. Uh, and and I love that movie. You know, I covered it on my show, but um. I didn't know Ellen DeGeneres was in it until you told me. So I kind of liked her. But again, like we keep cutting to a lot of these uh, people. And because they are, uh, they have a name, you know, behind them. Like, for for example, Ellen. Well, if Ellen's in this movie, she's got to have some screen time of her own. No, you cast yeah. that with a, a lesser known actress and show her less. Uh, Rob Reiner, you know, I enjoyed him sleeping in Seattle and all these things. I didn't buy him as the mustache twirling TV exec. Um, it's unfortunate that they got a lot of these talents. It just, it just seemed really wasted. Uh, where the Truman Show, uh, you have Ed Harris. Uh, Paul Giamatti wasn't even as big as, as he is now. You know, Sideways hadn't come out yet, not for a few years. But Dennis, uh, Dennis Hopper, no, um, not Dennis Hopper, um, um, Ed Harris. Um, I, I don't think we were like over, overwhelmed with his character or anything, uh, oversaturated, I guess might be the better word, but I did like his, his part where he's like, uh, on TV, I forget with who, and then like Sylvia calls in, uh, and I, I like that moment. So now we have a moment with Kristoff, and so we get more of his character. I just thought Truman Show was a more balanced movie, and there was a lot more focus. A man trapped in a, a fake reality, you know, and like you said, you know, it, it's a it's a movie about a prison break, where Ed TV. Tell me, what is it about? They're just following a man, hoping that they are banking on the next big thing. You know, and we see the uh, the rise and fall of this show, but at no point in this movie had it ever like kept my interest. Well, I think the problem is trying to uh, attach a uh, all the romantic comedy tropes on Ed TV that you mentioned, Janelle Elfman's character. Uh, moves away. That's basically the 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 guy loses the girl mm-hmm. segment, which is in Truman Show, but they sort of keep the, um, you know, they they keep the reality of the world set. They don't they don't try to force things in because he does like basically that that lost love, you know, does kind of move him to break out of the world, but they don't four cents very end then meeting up again like you get the idea that it's a happy ending like that he will he'll pursue her out in the world but i feel like ed tv it doesn't even really have any particular points to make about reality television or life in reality television other than it's bad because ed doesn't get to be with dharma you know, that's, that's, that's the really the extent of it. Whereas Truman, that's there, but you know, there's all, there's all, all sorts of betrayals in Truman, I think are, are, are genuine and are, are great, like scenes unto themselves. I think his really like Marlon, his best friend mm-hmm. who is forced to lie to him. I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot, he's a very conflicted character because, you know, he does tear up. And so I think as an audience, you're questioning like, man, this guy's a good actor. Like, cause he's, he is lying mm-hmm. to his, you know, best friend. But then you have to think back. You're like, well, he was probably cast early on as well. Like if they if they went to school together, this is a guy that you know. And if if that job entails that you have to show up every day and play like you're the part of that world, at what point does that those lines blur? And 
he does start to feel this is his best friend. I mean, that's who he sees every day. He acts as his best friend. I, I think Truman Show really, really wants to dive into parts people play uh, in the context of reality television. And Ed, you know, you could have had him and him and Dharma. They could have been in another romantic comedy plopped and it would have been they would have basically told the same film with right. those two and you could have had the crazy brother and i don't know you like the only thing that the reality television angle does for the the romantic comedy elements is that it publicizes when ed strays basically with elizabeth hurley that it just makes it something that the other person can find out by watching television as opposed to finding out in any other numerous ways in romantic comedies like you know ed would uh, admit what he'd done or another friend or you'd see the person across the street. Um, I don't know. It feels more faddish. It feels like the, like I said, the real world and like reality television being kind of like a, a new thing or popular thing during the nineties that they just attached like a very generic plot to it. Whereas Truman Show is built from the ground up. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you can't, you can't tell that story without starting that you're going to have this guy in a bubble. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's the whole damn point of the movie. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about the endings. Um, I thought the ending to Truman Show was very satisfactory, where I felt uh, Ed TV was just very abrupt, kind of came out of left field. We got a penile implant joke in there that does not yeah. even hit. I don't feel that was earned at all. Like, uh, I, again, Rob Reiner... For that to be the key, too. That is yeah. The, that, that is, <laughs> that, it is. That is Ed's poster on the wall. Breaking out of Shawshank was a damn penile implant. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, that's just it's uh, it's groan worthy. It's very it's cringe inducing. It, it it really is um implant inducing even. Uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> you could have wrote Ed TV. I could, I could have. That would have been. I know. You, you know what I liked uh, about Ed TV? Jay Leno. That's about it. Elizabeth Hurley, I mean, the, the, the poster, the cover box that I saw for this movie, working out Blockbuster, it had Elizabeth Hurley in, no. Hmm. Maybe I'm missing Do you have something you want to get off your chest with, uh, Elizabeth Hurley? Because even when we were talking about doing this episode, like, that seemed to be the only reference point you had for the film. As you, it's, it's like you were Truman, remembering Sylvia. You remembered mm. some woman. And you were, like, tearing out magazines to find, like, the Elizabeth Hurley face. So Better is there, eyebrows. Is there some, Better eyebrows. <laughs> that's that's what it is. You know, I, I'm a I'm a man who likes accents. Elizabeth Hurley, she's from the UK. You know, uh, very. I'm just very I'm just envisioning you, like your stack if you're Truman would just be a pile of discarded eyebrows, eyebrows. ripped up from magazines, right. looking for no, the perfect too thin, ones. Too thin. Next one. Yeah, I, you, I, you would be looking for that poster of Paper Towns. Right. Uh, <laughs> Never seen the movie, but uh, I'm sure people get that reference. Now, I mean, I, I do like that element of the uh, story of Truman Show as well. You know, he has this uh, faint memory of this woman, and he keeps collecting. Um, I like that reveal. You know, we see him buying. What is it, Cosmopolitan? Um, you know, one of those uh, magazines that um, mainly women read. And so he tells the vendor that he keeps buying it for his wife, which I feel if these are actors, aren't they supposed to kind of know some of the backstories of people? But maybe if you're acting, you're not really spectating or you're not watching the show yourself so you so you don't really quite know but um we do get a reveal that he's been buying all these magazines to cut out uh pieces of the eyes and the nose you know just uh facial features because he keeps thinking about this woman um and i like that you know i, I like the the build up to that and 
Um, you know, and then we kind of see Sylvia here and there throughout the movie. So I really like that. Well, I mean, the Truman wants something different. Um, you know, the, the, his backstory is he wants to be an explorer. Uh, he wants to travel to Fiji. He just wants to see something new, something other than this almost Capra-esque, uh, seaside town that he lives in. That is, it is perfect. I mean, it's, it's perfect in that almost dystopian way where it kind of freaks you out the way people greet each other. It's like, uh, you know, another film we could have done, I guess, in that time period was, uh, Pleasantville. I think it came out October 98. Mm-hmm. So like th- this, this, I'm, but I mean, that one took it a different direction, you know, a more interesting direction than Ed TV. Um, but this idea of like sort of getting back to this, uh, you know, this like per- perfect world, I think that's something that's really strong. Like Kristoff, you know, compared to Rob Reiner, he's not just in it to make money, even though it, I think it's referenced that they, they, they're like the economy is something like a small country or something like what it takes to put the show on. So you have to assume it makes a ton of bank. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that Kristoff genuinely cares for Truman because in, in a way he has raised him. I mean, he's been watching over him since birth. But, you know, you go to, you come back to Ed TV and it, it's, I mean, from top to bottom, our hero is just in it for the money. Uh, our villain, played by Rob Reiner, is just in it for more money. Like, Ed's life, I think the, the reason that it's hard to root for the guys, it seemed pretty good. It seemed like he was pretty happy. I mean, mm-hmm. he's sort of like a slacker type dude. You mentioned the, you know, he's even a terrible video store clerk. But, you know, he's he seems to love hanging out with his brother, his brother's girlfriend. He really loves hanging out with because he takes her <laughs> from yeah. him. But I, it's easier to root for Truman because he does he wants something more in his life. He he wants he wants something that's different, new, and exciting. Something he can discover as opposed to like you know Laura Lenny and his best friends being handed up to him, basically being they were cast to be his best friend and wife and. He doesn't really know that for sure. He doesn't know the details of it, but you get the impression that Truman knows there's something off about how his wife came into his, his life. Like it's something that was just forced upon him. Like there's not a genuine connection there. She literally fell into his lap, you know, as, as he was, uh, eyeballing Sylvia from across the way. Um, the, you know, what the, I think one of the few things that do bother me about the Truman show is how his wife has to kind of advertise here and there, uh, any chance that there is something around, you know, like when uh, he's in the basement and, uh, pretends to fix a, uh, a lawnmower and she's like, Oh, get this other one, you know, and it's just one, one of those moments. And he just like, he's like, that, that is just so weird. I understand. Do you like his reaction when he finally breaks down? Yeah, he's like, who are you talking to? Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and the thing is, like, I felt we didn't need the whole sponsorship kind of thrown in there because we we often see on screen uh, little advertisements here and there, you know, kind of kind of pop up or just uh, at the bottom of the screen. So we we get that. You can still have moments where um, Laura Linney's character, where she, you know, kind of breaks. I don't know what the fifth wall in this sense, you know, um, and it would still work at that moment when she kind of screams out like, uh, I forget her line. And he's like, well, who are you talking to? I, I feel that it could have been written uh, a little bit neater where he kind of picks up on these cues and it doesn't have to be like advertisements. Cause I felt that should have been bigger tells like, honey, this, this is so weird. Why do you keep uh, throwing out brands, you know, um, Mattel, you know, like the way you say it, why, why does it sound so unnatural? You know what I mean? I don't know. It's just a, a minor nitpick. 
Well, at that point in the film, he's he's wanting someone to like sort of be in the moment with him, right? Like, talk to me. Like, you're, you're just talking at me or around me. And I can't remember like the you know the particular context of that film is you know he's at a low point, and she is not expressing any genuine interest in him because clearly she's been directed to get in those commercials basically. And so that's, that's, it goes back. I know this was not the intention of Peter Weir or Jim Carrey or Andrew Nicole to the screenwriter, but that his reaction, that who you talking to is probably one of my favorite gifs. Well, I use that all the time. Like when someone when in a group thread, when someone derails the conversation, uh, I usually put that one in there, but I, I just, I, I feel the character's pain at that point. And I, I think the only thing, you know, to your point, as far as writing it a different way is there is a little bit of a cheat in the film that Truman, we have access to a lot of his thoughts and reactions up to a certain point, mm-hmm. but we don't really have access to that breaking point where he decides to leave because they, they kind of play that as a surprise that like, you know, from that point on, we're seeing it from Marlon's point of view. We're seeing it from the, the production teams as far as like, where has he gone? Even we don't know where he's gone. Uh, do you have any issue with that, that the film switches gears and we go from his perspective to the other characters? No, no, not at all. Um, I, uh, again, I, I kind of like the ending, uh, left a little ambiguous to, to his fate or what he even does. I, I am kind of curious, like, you know, what is on the other side of that? Does he just kind of walk out of this, uh, big, like, uh, semi-circle sphere? I don't know, like a half sphere? Uh, so it's the world's biggest, uh, studio, the world's biggest, like, set that they're on. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. No, absolutely. But yeah, I, I am curious, um, how far is Sylvia actually? Cause she takes off and run, you know, or with the, she got an apartment next door. She's down the block. Could be, the you know, in a condo. But yeah, what, what is that next scene? Is she driving fiercely down the street, to, you know, down Burbank Street, uh, you know, to where he is? I, I am curious. No, I, I liked it, uh, the way it ended. Ed TV? You, uh, I think we're, I think that one loses because, as we mentioned, it ends with a, a dick joke. Yeah, I, I forgot That's the movie already. Uh, honestly, <laughs> um, I really dislike yeah, that I, I TV. Think, well, I'm glad that I could finally bring it to your attention then for <laughs> yeah, our 50th you. episode. I sure appreciate that. <laughs> you, you know what's funny is I did. Um, I don't. I don't know if I mentioned Pleasantville to you, but I know we did just kind of, I brought Big Fish, possibly, you know, the whole reality theme there. Mm -hmm. Pleasantville was definitely on my mind if I didn't bring it up to you. Would have been a little bit closer. I I still would have gone Truman Show, but uh, Pleasantville, I I still have a good time with Pleasantville. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I probably would have picked Truman Show. Um, I I think just after watching TV, I'm just like, well, now I know why I never really heard about it before. Well, let's before we get to our, our our questions, which we do have more, uh, we always uh, end the show by uh, remaking this premise again. So, you know, we've talked a lot about how reality television was in the '90s versus how it is now. How do you think that if they redid this premise of having a lead character uh, being followed around by cameras, either knowingly or unknowingly, as in the Truman Show? Um, how do you think that they would play it? And is there a particular person that you think could make that premise interesting of a, a 24 hour sort of fake, uh, reality show? Hmm. Well, are we, are we going the, the Truman show route? 
what what these if, if you'd prefer if you'd like a character so you'd you would rather if they redid this that it would be a character not knowing that they were on a reality show yeah i kind of like that because you know you see a lot of things unfold i enjoyed the scene where he kind of just randomly um what, was it a bank or some building he runs into goes to the elevator and there's like people just sitting sipping coffee and they try to like slide out of the frame um so all of that was really fun at TV, I understand that, that you know it's satirical and they're playing um, kind of up the, this whole reality and paparazzi deal. The cameraman really got in the way, and I'm sure that was the intent. But they really did bother me, and um, I, I did not enjoy any time they were. It, it's kind of like, well, they're there um, to to. Okay, so anytime Matthew McConaughey is going to do something kind of impulsively it, it, it seemed like the cameramen were, were never ready to to run out and follow him this is a 24-hour feed why are you not ready you know and so i just found all of those very uninteresting and just kind of convenient that oh it, this is you know for cheap laughs or something because i i didn't like it um i i think um my casting can go for either movies but uh, i would like a um bradley cooper Perhaps as a lead role, you know, maybe even Truman, Ed TV. I, I would just find him a little bit more muted, more less of a character, I feel, than a Matthew McConaughey. And why not Michael Shannon as his crazy brother? <laughs> well, I love Michael Shannon. Yes. So, um, I was trying to, it's kind of interesting. I, I didn't think of Michael Shannon, although I should. I was trying to think of actors that can portray, uh, rage well, but still be likable. Uh, ben uh, Michael Shannon, oh, Ben Foster. That's a good one. Yeah, the, the the play unhinged a little bit. I think the difference with Ben Foster and Michael Shannon is they do not have that everyman quality. They're they're too off the beaten path, which is is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, it does call into question, you know, why would they be cast uh, to be our twenty four hour uh, show? So I'm going to go with someone that I would probably never bring up again, and I think has been the subject of some criticism on this particular podcasts and many others i'm gonna go with uh adam sandler from the 90s okay like happy gilmore sort of era and even if you want to go further i would say pair him back up with paul thomas anderson who directed him in punch drunk love which Uh has a truman show kind of vibe of a comedian like playing a little more serious but i always really liked that given the way they frame him, like, you know, in Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, it's a comedy aimed at teenagers for the most part. His rage was seen as silly and funny. And then you look at Punch Drunk Love and it was kind of scary when he decided to break things and start screaming like at his sisters. So I think he could do, you know, like Truman Show, it would be like having a comedian take a more serious role. Uh, he's laid back like Ed from Ed TV. Uh, but when he has a freak out, it can be kind of scary and a little bit unhinged. So it'd have to be someone like Paul Thomas Anderson. It can't be one of Adam Sandler's buddies directing him in another terrible comedy, like right, going straight Jay to Netflix. Roach or any of them. Yeah. No, I can't. It, uh, it'd have to, yeah, it'd have to be like a, like, you know, Peter Weir, like a more serious filmmaker. Um, not poor Ron Howard. I don't know what got away from him at that time. <laughs> yeah. I must say Adam Sandler and Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, if, if this had to be remade, but I'm, I'm guessing neither one of them probably have any interest in, in doing this. I, and I think the reality show f- fad, as far as making movies about it, has probably gone. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They've, they've not done it since post Kardashian. So but the closest thing I can think of is, um, there's a movie from Sofia Coppola called The Bling Ring, which was just about teenagers. Hmm. 
it was a true crime story about teenagers who were stealing from like Paris Hilton and those sorts because they were kind of obsessed with like that culture okay. of people who are famous for being famous, but uh, also not a big box office success. So this one's probably not going to come to fruition, but yeah. Um, and you know what? Michael Shannon can play the uh, Marlin. He can play the best friend. How about that? I like that. My you know, I mean, All I right. can see him bringing a six pack every time. <laughs> So, all right. Uh, so Truman Show wins. And like we said, for our 50th, we did solicit some questions. Just kind of ask us whatever you want. And this is the first either of us has ever done, right? For I, I've never, uh, even on my other show, yeah. I, I've never taken questions. So, yeah, this will be interesting to do. Yeah, yeah, me neither. So this is the very first Q&A I've ever done as well. So uh, happy two years and five months to you or three months, whatever it is, <laughs> uh, that we're celebrating together. A long together. time. A long yep. time to, to get to 50. Uh, some people hit 50 like less than a year uh, or six months even. Um, all right. I think on War Machine vs. War, it's at 50 in two weeks, so no, really you're slow. probably right. I mean, you're at like 600 <laughs> now, I think, or something. I mean, at Too least many. over a 1,000 movies for sure. Uh, <laughs> all right. The first question uh, comes from Hannah of Film Roast, a good friend of uh, uh, of my show. Um, well, actually, she's been on here as well. She did cover the Wonder Woman movies with me, the TV pilots. So uh, I'm going to throw this out to you as well. She did initially um, tag me. Uh, in the question, but she says, let's say Back to the Future has to be remade. Who do you cast as Marnie and Doc? Um, I did have somebody that, uh, I really wanted back in the day, but has since, uh, passed away. And that was uh, a young Anton Yelchin. Uh, uh, I had that same one. Really? Had the same thought. No yeah, kidding. I thought he was been perfect. Marty McFly. Yeah. He was par- uh, perfect from, uh, Charlie Bartlett. That's what sold me on, uh, I'm like, man, he'd be a great Marty McFly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate after like the roles after that, I didn't see it anymore, but it was really the Charlie Bartlett movie. And obviously we lost him in, in a, a very freak accident. Um, I thought he would have been perfect, but now if, um, to go with somebody, uh, alive, I didn't think too much about this, but I think, uh, Tom Holland would be good. I know he's a Brit, but he's got that like, uh, prepubescent, um, voice, you know, yeah, um, I think he can play. I mean, he's what nineteen, so he's still young enough, not as short as Michael J. Fox, but I don't think that's a big deal. Um, I think Tom Holland would be a good uh, Marty McFly, and for Doc Brown, I've always gone with Hugh Laurie. You know, I love Hugh Laurie in House. I think he would be perfect, and he kind of has that look too. Well, first off, I'm uh, greatly insulted that I was not tagged in this question <laughs> just because you had a podcast called Hydrate Level 4 before you rebranded. Uh, apparently, I'm being dismissed with my Back to the Future game, um, which will be featured on an upcoming episode of War Machine vs. War Horse <laughs> okay. with yourself. So, All right. um, I, I But I have to admit, I'm talking a lot of shit right now. I struggled with this. I was looking up this morning. I was looking up... Uh, ages. I was like, okay, so how old was Michael J. Fox? Cause, you know, you don't want to go too old. And so he was 24, mm-hmm. uh, at the time of the release of the film or the filming. Right. So I was like, okay, so that's kind of the range I was looking at. Cause I always go Miles Teller. I think since we've been doing this podcast, I don't know how many times I've said Miles Teller for like any role. And I do think he has that sort of smart ass vibe, but he's 29 now. So oh, he's yeah. kind of he's aged too out, old. even though he's, well, he looks young ish still. But that would be like Beverly Hills 90210, like 35-year-olds still playing high schoolers. So Maybe uh, um, Mouse Teller could play Biff. He, he does have that sort of uh, bullying kind of quality, which a I always bit. admire. Because uh, now he looks smart bigger. Ass. Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, that's good. I hadn't, I hadn't gone that far. I was just sticking with Marty and Doc. So, uh, I was looking around and I was going back to, uh, my favorite film from last year. Everybody wants some, but I didn't go with one of the guys. I went with one of the girls to play. I guess it would be like Martina or something. I don't know. The yeah. version of Marty. And I went with, I, I'm probably going to get this last name wrong, but she was the female lead in that film. Uh, the love interest, Zoe Deutsch. I don't know oh, okay. if you've heard of this. I've heard actress. the name. I'd have to see her. But I mean, in uh, Back to the Future Two, he does have a daughter. You know, so uh, well, maybe a reboot would be about the daughter. So I was trying to look up how to pronounce her name mm-hmm. because I was. She's got kind of like a smart-ass quality, um, but she's like likable and friendly. And so I was trying to think, Martin McFly. You know, he has to, like you mentioned, Biff. He has to respond uh, in a funny way. Uh, and I thought she she could have that just from watching her. And everybody wants some. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked up an interview with her on Jimmy Kimmel because I was like, okay, I got to get her name right if I'm going to go with this girl. And it was revealed to me in that interview that her actual mother is Leah Thompson. And I'm oh, like, oh, this is that's perfect. where I know the name. Yeah. Yeah. So my doc would be her actual mother. I would have Leah Thompson come back and we would, we would do a gender flip there. Okay. And she would play doc and you'd have actual mother and daughter on screen. And I was like, okay. But I, like I said, I was talking shit and I could have, I could have lied and said that was the reasoning for it, but it was total accident. I just stumbled upon that clip. Um, and also I'm just a Leah Thompson fan. I just, I just like her. I wish she was still doing more movies, but. Uh, so yeah, that was, that is my, my version of Back to the Future if they're going to do it now. I like that. I am too, uh, Leah Thompson fans. So I was like, yeah, that name does sound familiar because Leah Thompson does tag her daughter in a lot of things. They do take pictures a lot, uh, uh, together. Uh, the next one comes from Basement Condition. They ask, what was the first movie you saw that made you really appreciate filmmaking? Uh, this one was tough for me. Um, I think what I tried to do was think back to the first movie that I can recall seeing at an early age where uh, it wasn't quite, uh, you know, uh, maybe not that it wasn't family friendly, but something that like kids wouldn't really watch. And I don't know why, but I just kept on going back to Shawshank Redemption. Um, you know, I, f- I felt like I saw that at a really early age and, you know, the big reveal at the end of that movie. Uh, I think I was a kid and it was just kind of like, wow. Um, because like the other movie that... Uh, uh, that kept on popping in my head. I think came later, um, like after high school. So, so I'm I'm gonna go with Shawshank for that one. I might go with another movie from 1994, which is Pulp Fiction. Uh, which is I, I was a big movie kid up to that point. I loved going. That was probably my favorite thing to do. Was when my parents were gonna take me to the movies. Um, so I had seen a lot of films at that point, but I pretty much just looked at them as just entertainment, like a roller coaster or something. You just, you kind of go in, you enjoy your time with it and then you leave. Um, I never really thought about how or why things were made or decisions that were made, uh, in the film. And it wasn't until Pulp Fiction, uh, with its sort of strange, uh, narrative, the way they tell the story at different points in time and then go back on themselves. Uh, basically John Travolta getting shot, uh, that sort of cracked my skull open at like the age of 12. Hmm. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the one that I, I remember I, I told the story on, uh, our friend Dave on his show on, uh, pop culture case study. He did an episode on Pulp Fiction about a year or so ago. And my mom had already seen Pulp Fiction. She was a huge fan. She like wanted to introduce me to it, even though I was way too young to see that content. And she asked me what I thought, and I'm like, "Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I yeah, I see why you why you're a fan." But I think I still like Forrest Gump, still my favorite movie this year. 
And she was just appalled at my like choice. Like that did not get what I had just seen, like how great it was. And sure enough, I mean, years down the road, I still like Forrest Gump a lot, but Pulp Fiction is definitely the one that is more famous in film circles and I guess more important. Uh, so yeah, that's the one that I actually started reading about movies for the first time, uh, reading into what references Tarantino had, like the films he liked, why he made movies the way he did. So yeah, that I mean, it's a pretty common answer probably at this point, but yeah, Pulp Fiction is, is the one that I first started thinking about movies in a different way. That is a good one. And now the, the fact that you brought up Forrest Gump, it, it kind of reminds me now watching like movie magic and, uh, things like that to kind of see the behind the scenes. So I don't know. I mean, I was always into the supplemental material of like a lot of the movies, but, um, so that probably could have been one too. I mean, it did come out around the same year. Uh, the next one comes from what were they thinking? Uh, they ask what movie, uh, that is, what movie that is yet to be remade is something you actually want to see remade and by which director or actors? I mean, there's probably a lot of them. Like this, this question is so big as far as the, the sheer amount of movies that mm-hmm. exist. Um, so I'm by no means saying that my answer is definitive, even for myself. I could probably like tomorrow I'll be like, Oh, why didn't I say that? Instead? Right. Uh, so I'm just going to go on my podcasting history. So for my other show, I've, I've said this that, uh, on War Machine versus War Horse, I think The Lovely Bones is probably the worst movie I've ever watched for that show or talked about. And it's because, uh, you know, having read the book, uh, it was one that I had looked forward to and they get Peter Jackson as the director. I was a fan of his at that point. Um, I was like, wow, this is going to be great. And it was just so incredibly disappointing, like watching that movie. Cause I think it's an interesting, premise uh it's an interesting novel and i'm a big fan of heavenly creatures which is a movie he did with kate winslet mm-hmm. like in 93 i think somewhere around there uh which is also about a horrendous crime involving young women um and then i read more into it and he also had cast ryan gosling as the father and then fired him like the first week in production because mm, he didn't wow. like the way Ryan Gosling looked. So he cast <laughs> Marky Mark instead. So I just, I look at that and I think like maybe this isn't the, like the ultimate film that deserves to be remade, but I feel like there was so much talent involved and the, the story was so well received in book form that, you know, you almost had like the makings of a great film and it just, it just went so, so off, so wrong. So, uh, my wish if I could do it would be that Peter Jackson in an alternate reality did not become as, as obsessed with CGI after Lord of the Rings and like stuffed it full in the lovely bones in this really off putting way. Uh, and actually kept one of the, uh, the best actors of this generation with Ryan Gosling. So that's the version I'd like to see. I know we're not going to get it, but I feel like that's a big swing and a miss. And, you know, maybe 20, 30 years from now, maybe someone will have made a, a good film out of that, that particular book. Yeah. Uh, for me, um, I kind of want to echo the same thing you said. Uh, the, the one I just kind of went to is like, what is a movie that's not very good, but I still have fun with that I wish could have been done better or I felt maybe was due for a better version of it? And one of two, well, two movies came to my mind immediately, uh, Bloodsport and Mortal Kombat. Uh, you know, I do. You're gonna get a lot of hate for Bloodsport. There are a lot of fans for that. <laughs> oh no, no, I love Bloodsport. I mean, I wouldn't mind a remake that's you know written better or just updated. They have sequels and stuff like that that I didn't really care for, but mm-hmm. uh, so that's why I'm actually gonna go with Mortal Kombat. Um, you know, the the, the second one was gar- just garbage, but I feel that it can. Um, 
a a reboot could you know could make it a much better. And Gareth Ed- Evans uh, is the director that came to mind, who also did the Raid Redemption movies. Uh, I think the I think those are the best like Mortal Kombat movies. That's not Mortal Kombat. Um, I didn't go with uh, I didn't come up with the cast because there's just so many characters. But I think with uh, today's uh, choreography and fight is, uh, is is so more realistic and violent. Uh, I think it would serve really well uh, in a Mortal Kombat reboot. Um, so I just went with that one. I, I just the guy. I'm a big fan of the the games. You know, I played uh, every single one of them. Um, I recently played part two again because my friend has one of those like retro uh, gaming mm-hmm. consoles, and uh, they were. You know, I was talking a lot of trash, and they're like, oh, let's see if you got it. Let's see if you still got it. And so I was able to do some combos, uh, and I still remembered one of the fatalities. And I had that one moment where it was like literally a mic drop. It was a, a controller drop. So. Which character do you use? Baraka. Baraka. Yeah. I'm a Liu Kang guy. I don't know. Liu Kang. I always feel okay. like, was he the easiest to learn? I think I so. Know. I mean, his uh, fatality was you just do the controller stick like a 360 degree and he does like the flip and an uppercut. That was in the very first I just first like the game. flying kick. The flying, the flying kick and one. the fireballs. Yeah. So yeah. Liu Kang was my, my go-to if I was going to compete. Um, I'm trying to think the fatalities I like the best. Probably Sub-Zero. I probably like the freezing stuff. Okay. Um which one had the heart pulling out? Of that the was chest? Kano. Kano, okay. Yeah, the Jax. Uh, I like Jax. Jax was my second favorite. The head smash. But... Well, he he had quite a few too. Uh, in part two, he had like the T one thousand hands. But uh, mm-hmm. with Baraka, I liked it how you know he would pull out his, um, you know his just you know the swords that come out of his arms, and then he would stab you, lift you up, and then the your lifeless body would just slide down towards him and drip blood. It was just kind of a cool visual. Um. All right, so the next one comes from John of Now in Technicolor, who was also on here to talk about the Mummy movies. And he asked, uh, which movies have you covered that you enjoyed both the original and remake? Um, I'm going to go back. I mean, there have been multiple, uh, but I'm going to go back to our very first episode with Infernal Affairs and The Departed, which is pretty much the reason the show exists. You know, mm-hmm. I got talking about those two films. Uh, there's another one, kind of for similar reasons, uh, Aubrey Loso Host and Vanilla Sky. Um, I have to admit, though, with those two, I will probably always pull the remake off the shelf. And I don't know if that's because that's the one I watched first. Mm-hmm. And so I, as a big fan of those films, it caused me to like want to seek out the originals and see them. And I can enjoy them. And there's certainly different, you know, there's cultural changes. The settings are, are different. Um so for one where I could watch both films like interchangeably, it's probably a little bit surprising. I would, you referenced the Italian job, uh, which was, I think the last time we recorded together, that's probably the one where I could watch either one and I feel they're different enough. Uh, but I still enjoy them because, you know, the, the original Italian job is definitely goofier. Uh, it's kind of like a smart ass heist movie. Mm-hmm. And the newer one is, you know, is a sort of slick, uh, less aimless Hollywood action movie so it's like you know infernal affairs and departed i think the story beats are pretty uh similar it just depends on maybe the actors you like or just you know the setting uh but yeah the italian job is probably one where it's almost a tie for me it could be either one i'd be fine with yeah i'm also going to go back to the, the very first episode um I think going in and doing that episode, I, uh, I was very high on Infernal Affairs. It's one of my favorite movies. And doing the review, 
I realized that you know I enjoyed The Departed just as much. You know, in in that sense, it's also uh, culturally different because one's uh, uh takes place in Hong Kong, the other one's in Boston, and so uh, I enjoy both movies equally. I would watch either movies if they were on TV. So I would say that's probably uh, my uh, favorite episode where I enjoyed both films. Um, but uh, just just like you, there's a lot of episodes we've done where I've enjoyed both. But I think that's the one. Like, if you just asked me, that's the first one that would come to mind. Um, I did like the, our Magnificent Seven Samurai as well, but those movies are just so damn long. <laughs> It'd be yeah, it's hard you, for me you to really pull either one mood. of them off the shelf. Yeah, that, yeah, that's more like I'm gonna watch them as a TV series or something. Watch watch them in parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve from Everything I Learned from Movies and. I'm glad he uh, sent us this question because I, I, you pegged me as a huge 50 Cent um, uh, fan. So he asks, uh, favorite 50 Cent song, can you mumble a verse? So you strike me as a uh, just a little bit kind of guy. I don't even get that, that reference. Oh, that's the name of one of his songs, just a little <laughs> yeah, bit. I, Not a lot, I, baby I assume, girl, just a little bit. Um, I Yeah, I when you sent me these questions, I'm glad I wrote some of this stuff down <laughs> because uh, I had to research just a little bit, and I'm like, nope, nope, don't know that. Uh, so I'm just going to respond with a question. I know that's probably a, a cop-out, but I'm uh, going to say, did he do a song for Southpaw? Because if so, I did watch the movie Southpaw, so I've probably heard the song if it played in that film. I don't know the name of it or what it sounds like, but I'll go with that one. And no, I can't mumble it because I don't remember it. But Southpaw, whatever he did for that soundtrack. I don't remember, but I wouldn't be surprised because there was a, at least a couple Eminem songs in there. Mm-hmm. So it would kind of make sense. Um, but on the topic of Eminem, my favorite 50 Cent song is actually Patiently Waiting featuring um, Eminem. And sure, I'll, I'll mumble a verse. Uh, innocent in my head, like a baby born dead. Destination heaven, sitting politics with passengers from 9-11. The best part of the song is actually Eminem, but that is my favorite Eminem song to answer your question, Steve. So I was really hoping Mike would have a verse uh, for you. Uh, he could mumble something. It probably just wouldn't be words. So next one <laughs> it comes from Justin from So I Married a Movie Geek. He asks, most underrated performance by an animal in in a film? Oh, this was a really tough question. Strangely tough. Uh are there animal portrayals that are overrated? You know, what, what's considered a, to say, you know, spot on performance by an animal? I don't, I had never considered this with all the movie podcasts we had done. So once again, I'm going to be somewhat of a smart ass and say, uh, this is just the first thing that came to mind. Uh, underrated for me would probably be the headless parakeet PD from Dumb and Dumber. Okay. Which pretty my dog, bird. My dog's angry. Pretty bird. Yeah, pretty bird. Because <laughs> I don't think many people would bring that up, but that always, that scene, uh, the fact that they sell the, the dead bird to the blind kid, uh, the way they react where they just assume that through age that PD's head just fell off. I always crack up at that. So, yeah, I'm going to say that's underrated because I assume most people would not mention uh, PD, the headless parakeet. I'm assuming dogs would come up quite a bit. So that's my way of saying he's underrated because it causes okay. me to laugh every time. I got you. No, I agree. That's a great scene in that movie. Uh, for me, I'm going to go with underrated because there's a character that I think a lot of people know but is so tertiary. Is that the right word? Kind of more so background that people often forget. out your $2 words. How dare you, sir? Stop trying to class up this joint. Oh, sorry. Uh, but I'm going to go with Einstein from the Back to the Future series. 
because he's in all of them, but not a lot of people think of Einstein when they think of Back to the Future. Um, he's the one that warns Doc that the Libyans are coming. Had that had Einstein not mm. had uh, barked at that very moment, maybe Marty would have gotten shot too, and then we wouldn't have had a movie. So I'm going to go with Einstein on that one. And I think Justin would like that too because that's also one of his favorite movies. Um, actually, I think it is his favorite movie. Um, all right, Sean and Devin from Movie Babies. How close should a remake be to the original? Do you want OG stars to, i.e., new Ghostbusters as roles and cameos or something completely new, different genre? Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the Ghostbusters remake, and uh, it's, it is not because they use female comedians. I'm not uh, some troll on a message board uh, talking about how they've killed my childhood um, by casting female comedians. Uh, I was just disappointed the movie was not that funny to me. So um, even if I had been a fan of it, though, I don't think I would have liked all the winks and the nods to the original. Because especially in that film, it felt very forced when they brought back the, the actors, your, your Ackroyd or Murray, to, to pop back up. And I feel like if you're going to try to do something new, just do something new. Like if you want to have one of those actors play like an older character that was in the originals, like, you know, if, if Michael Caine had popped up in the Italian job as maybe the Donald Sutherland role, that would be fine with me. But I, I don't really like uh, cameos. And if I'd have to say if I'm going to see a remake, I, I do prefer, especially for this show, uh, it helps us out when there are some major differences um, with like a new thematic angle uh, up, Updating the production techniques just due to time, you know, just, just getting, you know, better special effects or just, you know, just the ability to maybe, uh, expand on the film a little bit more. Um, or maybe just a strikingly different tone. Maybe you have a funny version of it or maybe you have a more serious version of a, of a similar story. So now I would say probably not, uh, as much nodding back to the original, but I'm, I am for like, you know, uh, the older actors playing a character playing a part in that world just just no cameos please this is a really tough question because mike you actually um you enjoy the the psycho remake mm-hmm. and that's a shot for shot remake um almost the Rob Zombie right. stuff still kills me <laughs> sure the uh, it's just it's a really tough question because you know every Every person that has filmed a remake of stuff, it, it comes down to their vision and, you know, Gus Van Zant just did everything basically the same. Well, his was like a stage play, right? Right. It was like they just put on a new production. And that's actually very rare to be that, to attempt to be that close to the original, like to, like you said, shot for shot or an attempt at shot for shot. I don't know. It, it kind of, I, I feel it also kind of depends on what the original movie was maybe some would just serve better as uh being really close and just updated and modernized um i do appreciate when people take liberties and make things their own and kind of make things make more sense whereas like the originals don't so i'm gonna say uh maybe not so close to the original uh as far as cameos I, I don't like them to feel shoehorned in. So if they were more just like background people in passing and, uh, you know, more of a nod that, Hey, this person was in there. Cause if you, if you don't, if you miss it, no big deal. But if you catch it, you're like, Hey, that's, that's kind of nice. You know, that person was in the original. Uh, so cameos where they actually have a speaking role that may kind of take you out and feel shoehorned in. Um, different genre, you know, if it serves, I mean, if it serves the story well, sure. Why not? I, I wouldn't mind the change of the genre as well. 
Uh, and our very last one comes from Amanda, from Amanda's Picture Show Go Go. Both uh, you and I have collaborated with her. Uh, she asks, what movie do you wish had a remake so you can cover it? Which I felt was one of the hardest questions. I Yeah, I, I agreed with that. And I, like I said, I'm going to go back to the, the earlier one where it was sort of asking, like, um, you know, a film that was bad that we'd like to see remade uh, that hasn't been yet. And uh, this one I, I looked at just from a podcasting point of view. Uh, and I want to touch on the Ghostbusters thing, which we uh, we we did not do. But, you know, the, the very the, the fact that that film was reviewed sight unseen, there was so much controversy just over the, the casting uh, I have to admit, I would, you know, I'm, I'm a dick, so I, I crave people crying online about these type of things. I get amusement out of, out of the insanity of it all. I would probably go with, uh, the Lost Boys being remade as the Lost Girls. That would be, I would mm-hmm. just, and I expect we'll probably get a lot of rage when the, uh, the all female oceans, uh, I think it's eight this time movie right. comes out. Um, but then I was reading about it, uh, and apparently The Lost Boys is currently uh, possibly being remade as a CW series. So I'm guessing there won't be as much outrage. I don't know. People don't seem to, to throw a fit about television properties as much. But I could very easily see a, a Lost Girls thing, especially in a, a vampire uh, setting. And I think it would be it would be fine. It would make a lot of... A lot of sense um, as far as having this this sort of uh, like the all girl sort of band version of it. Um, yeah, and led by Anna Kendrick, of course, because I love Anna Kendrick. And Jessica Chastain would be probably some kind of like OG vampire, you know, like the the big sister type deal. Yeah, she would. She would definitely be the uh, you know the, the the Dracula sort. She would be the the, the head of that particular you know, vampire charter, but. Uh, mainly, I'm just trying to get Anna Kendrick from away from making pitch perfect movies at this point. There's a third <laughs> one coming up, and I'm like, come on, all right, let's let's you know if you're gonna go back to the well on something, let's, let's use your talents in a better way. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. There are a lot of things uh, that you could do, but I feel like, you know, I, I like remakes that are that you can have a little more wiggle room with. You know, I, I don't think I want to see a remake of like a Citizen Kane or something. That's like, what else can you do with it? But like Lost Boys is a film that I'm a fan of. But like Ghostbusters, you could go back to that world and expand on it. And I think it'd be fine. You know, there's, there's the world of supernatural and sci-fi. You can do a lot of things with those. So, yeah, Lost Boys is my pick. And I say that as a fan of the original. But, yeah, let's get Anna Kendrick and Jessica Chastain some things. Of course. Uh, this one was so difficult for me. I didn't go with anything sexy at all uh, because I, I feel some of the ones that might be on the nose will probably eventually be remade or – uh, something else with a very similar concept or theme. Uh, I mean, that is the basis of the show. So I, I try to think of like guilty pleasures, um, you know, some really, I guess to me that are hidden gems. Uh, I went with a, uh, I don't think it's really a rom-com, but it's, it's got that tone from the eighties. It's called the heavenly kid. You know, I brought it up on our show uh, a couple times here. Uh, this guy plays chicken, uh, at the beginning of the movie in the sixties and dies, wakes up. It's, uh, 1985, which is the, the current time, uh, the current year, uh, in the movie. And so it's a fish out of water thing, but he's also assigned to this kid who's a dork and he's got to make him popular. So I think a, a modern version, you know, with a, maybe like a Tina Fey writing because, uh, she writes teenagers, uh, well, I feel, um, 
Have we, we haven't done Mean Girls yet, have we? As a, no, as a we remake haven't. episode. That Mm-mm. and Heathers, I would love to do at some point. Sure, sure. We, we would definitely do that, add it to the list. Um, but, you know, the, just because I feel uh, Heavenly, movie, uh, Heavenly Kid is a movie that uh, nobody watched, but I love it. It's got a great soundtrack, and it's so totally 80s uh, in the worst way. And I think that could be done better and have more heart. And I feel it could be a successful rom-com. I know you've brought up the Heavenly Kid uh, multiple times, so uh, if they don't, we're going to have to, I don't know, get a Patreon pledge or kickstart that just so we can cover it on the show because I feel like you're you're just going to keep bringing it up no matter what. So even in our future Mean Girls episode, you're going to be like, you know what was good? <laughs> the Heavenly Kid. That was a good film. Yeah. They could have shoehorned a, a ghost character into this Mean Girls. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to thank everybody for uh, that submitted the, those questions. Uh, that it's was good actually questions. yeah, so it was a lot of fun. Some that could them, have been an episode on its own. Yeah, some of them genuinely kind of stumped me in the sense that I wanted to give it a lot of thought, and so I, I apologize uh, for the fifty cent question. I you know I did <laughs> I did look it up. I was just like okay, he was in Southpaw. Uh, I don't know if he did an original song for it, but yeah, Southpaw and. Uh, I thought uh, the the underrated animal one really really cost me to think because I <laughs> did I did not know what was an underrated animal performance, but definitely Petey from Dumb and Dumber. He's yeah, not he's as a bird, much yeah. of a plot point as Einstein from Back Future. He doesn't save anyone. Uh, in fact, he just dies. He just gets murdered because of our idiot heroes. But <laughs> yeah, Petey Bird. Yeah, I mean they tried to save him with uh with tape. So I mean they tried. <laughs> So uh, on. <laughs> I think that will wrap it up uh, again. Thank you guys for those questions. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you to our listeners that have uh, been around, even at the the new ones as well. You know, we've been doing this two plus years now, finally hit 50. So uh, this isn't uh, either of our primary podcasts. So we do appreciate you guys that have been listening, supporting us. Yeah, uh, and you know, go back and check out some of our uh, older episodes. Um, this one, this episode itself is a little bit longer than what we had been doing, but some of our original ones, that was, that was the original setup. It was like an hour to an hour and a half. So, uh, if you liked this one, as far as the length of it, check out some of the early ones and, you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll go back to that if we get some feedback or maybe people, if you like the shorter ones, we'll just keep trying to pop them out weekly. But, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I, w- I would definitely like to do more, more of those, those interactions. So. Uh, stick with us, because uh, we're going to, I think we're at least around for another year mm-hmm. with our, at least that's what our Podbean contract is for. <laughs> right. So, you know, you spoke of con- uh, contact. You can contact us at Original Remake on Twitter. Uh, the email is OriginalRemakePod at gmail.com. Uh, Mike, where can they find you and your shows? War Machine versus Warhorse, like this podcast, is on followingfilms.com. And uh, you can interact with me personally at War Machine Horse. Uh, I think one time I've answered an original remake tweet with, you know, designated as like Mike or whatever. For the most part, that is in the hands of my more talented uh, and uh, I guess has a better work ethic co-host here, Peter. Uh, but yeah, at War Machine Horse, if you want to tag me with any Back to the Future questions, because I will give them serious thought, by God. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've seen the movie, so. Um, I'm about to watch it again. Actually, today I'm going to watch it in, in preparation for uh, that future episode on War Machine vs. War. So I'm going to dive back into it. See, the good thing for me, I can replay it in my head. So I'll watch it along with you. I'm actually just going to watch you replay it over Skype. Okay. I'm just going to have you just read it to me. All right. 
The uh, okay for me, you can find me at Podstalgic on Instagram and Twitter. Actually, uh, we also have an Instagram for Original Remake. That's at Original Remake. Mike, I think you're at uh, War Machine Horse, just like your Twitter. That's correct. Yep. Um, so uh, Podstalgic, you can also find you know on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher. It's also part of the uh, Corten Parts Network, along with my other show. We got five. Uh, so that's that's all I got for now. Um, uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you haven't done so, please leave an iTunes review. Uh, I know we've uh, had a few that we keep forgetting to read, but uh, we will definitely read those on uh, some uh, upcoming episodes here to make sure that uh, we show our listeners some love that have shown us. Yeah, this one's just a little long, so we'll, we'll you know what we'll start trying to read those at least one an episode from here on out until we get caught up. So that should take no time at all. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm> sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening.